thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. Welcome to C112, where the Delta variant is infecting our, our devices. But if you're listening to this later on, if you're watching this right now, if you're here in the room, I do want to say thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We're here. C112, we exist to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we're here for. We want to help you out. We don't know where you are. You could be across the world. You could be here in Diamond Head, in the Kill, in the DeLille area, and we just want to love on you. Uh, But it is easy to live without purpose when you don't believe that you have purpose. Aimless wanderers just kind of go, 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 go about life as if nothing's really going on. We just, we're just living. We're just existing in reality. We're, just, we're going through the motions. We wake up. We do the same routine every day. We, we come home. We do the same routine at night. We go to sleep. We, we wake up and we do the same routine in the morning. And then we... And it's just aimless. Purposeless. And we often get into trouble. Think about it. We often get into trouble when we're aimless, right? Like that's when we start to overeat. Like the other day, I went to the store and, and my kids, my kids, my kids were out of double stuff Oreos. And I'm on an eating plan and they didn't want Oreos. They didn't ask for Oreos. And I almost got Oreos and it, they weren't on sale. And I'm like, I'm going to get them. Because at the end of the day, I knew I was going to eat them. But I didn't get it because I had to remember when we're aimless, when we don't have that purpose, when we don't have that why in our heads. We get into trouble. Some of us, it's like we overeat. For some of us, like we overspend because like, we don't have a budget. We don't have, we don't have a gridlock. We don't have anything set up, a framework set up. For some of us, it's we, uh, we, uh, we spend too much time on TV. If we don't have like, an agenda for the day, like, we're just, we're just going to spend so much time on TV. My kids do it all the time. And like, we just spend a lot of time on TV. And we'll just binge watch. And Netflix, I ask you, hey, are you still watching? And you're like, of course I am. And just keep watching, whatever it is. And before you know it, you're like, hey, I need a new show. How many times have we posted, hey, I need a new show. Who's got a suggestion for me? For those of us that are aimless, like if we don't have a purpose, if there's not a why that is sitting heavy in our brain, like we start to mentally degrade. And we start to like, our, we, we, we notice that emotionally we just start to kind of get all out of sorts. And for those of us that are aimless or purposeless, and it's not just like in general, but it's specific, Right? Like with your dental hygiene, before you know it, you go into the dentist for the first time in 15 years and you have 14 cavities and you have to have four root canals. And you're like, hey, how did that happen? I could tell you, but we're not talking about me today. We're talking about you. The most persuasive human on the planet, you can write this down, the most persuasive human on the planet is you. We need more of you. We need more of you. Because you've got a, a unique set of skills. You've got a unique way of looking at life, you've got, a, you, you know, you've got your unique talents that are, only, that, that are the only kind of talents that you've got. Only do what only you can do. Like, I hate the phrase, you do you, but we need more people to do what they do, what God's gifted them to do. Their passions. In the number one action, the number one command, the number, number one thing that Jesus, the creator of the universe... Like who's got all power, who flung the stars into existence and he knows every hair on your head. Like the number one thing that Jesus tells us to do 
is to make disciples of all nations. It's the number one thing that he tells us to do. I love it. We, we had a series earlier this year, a series of teachings on famous last words of Jesus. And, and you can find those you know, online on podca- Apple Podcasts or wherever. But Jesus' famous last words, after, like right before he died and right after he rose again, we looked at a few different ones of those. And like the number one thing that he looked at was make disciples of all nations. Peace out, I'm gone. Like He wants us to make disciples of all nations. So this next set of teachings that we're going to be in for the next several weeks, it's called making me. Making me or making you. Like there's, We just need to make more of us. And we could go viral with this and we could call it replicate. That was a COVID joke. Anyway, tasteless. I know. That was also a COVID joke. I'm getting deep in here. There we go. But we need to make more of us. I mean, that is the essence of Christianity. Like when Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations and then he left, like the whole task of the disciples, the apostles, the whole task of them were to make more of themselves. And what was key about that is that they followed Jesus. And they, they followed what Jesus taught. They followed what Jesus did. They used the power that Jesus gave. They, they even, the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent to them, they used the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowered them to do these things. So combating a life without purpose begins with discovering our why, like the design behind it all. So that's where we're going to be today, Genesis chapter 1. I love the book of Genesis. If you've trekked with me for a little while, you know that my favorite book of the Bible is probably Isaiah. But I look to Genesis for anything about design, anything about the way the world was ordered. Any, if, if, if I'm ever looking at an argument of how something came to be. I'm always looking at Genesis because Genesis gives us a good framework for everything. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and I'll read this for you. Then God said, imagine this, like God created everything, literally everything, everything good. And he, he often would say, let there be, and whatever it was, he spoke it into existence, and that is super powerful in itself. That's a whole other message. It was, it's great to know that Jesus was the Word, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that Jesus was with God in the beginning. And so Jesus, the Word, like spoke these things into existence. But then, but then we get to verse 26, and it changes. It's a little different than the rest of the way that Jesus and God and, and, and how they created He then says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now, the word there for man is mankind. Uh, It's used in the sense of mankind, humanity. Let us make mankind, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea. So there's hope for me, by the way. Like, I haven't caught a fish in 20 years, but there's hope for me here. The birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. The beginning always starts with God. The beginning of anything Starts with God. Verse 26, it says, Then God. After all this other stuff, then God. After all these problems in your life, then God. Like, God is the beginning of any solution that you should ever have. James, I don't even know what my question is. Well, do we start with God? Anytime you've got a question, the problems, like whenever those tensions happen, like, then God. So, 
beginning always starts with God. Or another way of putting it is that having a full life, which is what Jesus came to bring, right? Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Having a full life requires us that knowing God is primary. Like we've got to know, if you want to have a full life out there, and I know that some folks that are watching or listening is like, how do I have the best life now? I get it. But it requires us knowing that God is primary, that he's ultimate, he's the zenith, like he's number one. That's where our eyes and our heart's attention should always go to. And everything else pales in comparison because we get into trouble. We get into trouble when we put anything else in that position. So verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And you can go on and underline that because I want to talk about that word image for a little bit. In the Greek Septuagint, or, or, or in a Greek version of this, they call it the Imago Dei. The Hebrew for it, for this specific word, is Salem. It's used 14 times in the Old Testament. And it means image, likeness, a drawing, a model. Like, let us make, it's like God was saying, let us make man in our likeness. Let us make man in our model. Let us make man in, in like we drew it up, and like, let us make man in this way. Like humanity was designed with God as the model. So it makes sense that we find our purpose in the creator. Like if God is the model for us, then it makes sense. It makes sense that we find our purpose in him as creator. But why do we get this wrong? Like, y'all ever watch the movie Little Mermaid, right? The little cartoon movie Little Mermaid. Like, she, she looks at objects. She finds objects or treasures down in the sea, under the sea. And, like, she finds those things, and, and, uh, and she repurposes. Like, she's like, oh, this thing, that's a dinglehopper. I know what a dinglehopper And, like, then she likes to comb her hair with a fork. Now, for those of us that are, that are you know, over the age of six, like, we know, like, you don't use a fork. I say over the age of six because my three-year-old would, would probably do this. But over the age of six, like we know, like a fork is not used to comb your hair. A fork is used to eat stuff with. And if you comb your hair first, you don't want to eat with it. It's gross. We get our purpose wrong when we start with us. Like when we see the object and think that the object is what creates the purpose. Or when we think that the created is what creates the purpose or provides the purpose for whatever it is. An example was silly, a fork. Like, if you look at the fork, oh, clearly the purpose of that fork is so we can comb our hair, brush our hair. Like, that, when we look at ourselves and we find that that's our purpose, we get it wrong. We always get it wrong. It's the same thing with being self-centered. Like, whenever we look at ourselves, our own desires, our own whims, and we're like, well, I've got a stomach. I've got to feed it. I guess I'm going to eat a lot. Like, that's when we get that wrong. Or when we look at time and we say, that's our time, that's my time. It's entitlement. It's saying I deserve or I want or it's about me. And that's when we get it all. It's when we get off base. It's when we get into trouble. If we make, imagine this. If we make more people like us, and say you're self-centered, if you make more people like you, we kind of become like the French bourgeoisie. If you remember in, in the 1700s, 1800s, like there was an elite class of aristocrats there in France. That ended up, they ended up, because they were so self-centered and they were so entitled and they wanted everything about themselves, like they, they got to the point where 
this upper echelon of people made it really hard for the folks that were below them because they were so self-absorbed. Because they began to think that purpose was all about them and not about anything else. Making more godless versions of ourselves creates an army of Kardashians. And like when I wrote that, I knew immediately some folks, we love people, okay? And I want to really be clear that God loves the Kardashians, even though some of us find it hard to. Can you imagine? They've had 20 seasons of shows of just keeping up with Kardashians. And then they had, I think I looked it up, there's like, I don't know, 10 or 15 different spinoffs on, on top of that. Like, there's a quote, though. There's a quote from a guy named Rob Sheffield from the Rolling Stone. He says this. He says, the Kardashians are the last ladies standing in reality TV because they're simply always, they simply always believed they were celebrities, endlessly amused with themselves. Their vanity is impervious to the outside world, which is how many of us often wish our own personal vanity were. Like if we make more versions, more copies of self-centered versions of ourselves, whether you want to call it elitists or you want to call it bourgeoisie or you want to call it Kardashians or you want to call it whatever you want to call it, if we make more godless versions of ourselves, we are doing this world an injustice. And I, and I don't really have any room to talk because when, when I was a teenager, when I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, like I wanted to be Zach Morris. For those of you that ever watched uh, Saved by the Bell, I went, like the bell would ring at my middle school, and, and the way it would ring, I immediately thought, like, oh, I'm Zach. Because you know, like that distinctive bell ringing right when the, the, the cr- opening credits would start on Saved by the Bell, like there was, a certain, there was a certain ring to it. And so I thought I was Zach Morris, and I'd be running to my next class. And in, in reality, I was a screech. I was, a Zach, I, I was thinking I was a Zach Morris in a screech kind of world. Did you know that screech was a wrestler? had to throw that reference in there for you. Sometimes, sometimes we, don't, we, just, we just don't talk. Like we, we, don't, we don't get it. We don't understand. Like we forget that we are God's first. And that manifests in our self-centeredness, in our entitlement, in our emotions, in our pocketbooks. Like when we forget that God is first, we see that in all parts of our lives. So God says, let us Make man in our image, our likeness, our model, our drawing, our way to be, like our... What does that mean? What does that mean to be in God's image? Well, it doesn't mean that God's made of dirt. Because we're made of dirt. Which I love Lisa Turker. She, she said in a podcast not too long ago, she said that dirt is so, so valuable that God would use it instead of precious metals, instead of, instead of rubies and sapphires and all those things. Like, instead of using these exquisite, expensive things, like, God used dirt. And so, really, dirt's more valuable than we think. So, if you own a dirt business, this is probably a good time to, like, up your rates. Like, hey, God thought this was valuable. But if we're made in God's image and we're made of dirt, that doesn't mean that God's made of dirt. It's not a physical image that we are created in. I remember I used to think that God, man, I had a warped view of God's image because I was self-absorbed. I was 20 years old. I remember as a worship event and I, I was wearing a hat inside of a worship event, which isn't a big deal or whatever, but there were some folks that were there that they were looking at me kind of funny and they didn't want me wearing a hat. So I remember telling my friend next to me, I said, hey, uh, I'm wearing a hat. God, I feel like God wanted me to wear a hat. 
and I, because I'm wearing a hat and, and I'm made, made in the image of God, God wears a hat. I mean, how stupid was that? How stupid was that? God wears a different hat. That's my son. I love it. I want to tell you, that what, what does it mean that we're made in God's image? Well, God is spirit, so it tells us a couple things. Number one, we are spiritual beings. Now, some of you are like, hey, James, this is, this is kind of elementary. I've been around the, the church kind of thing for a while. Some of you that are listening right now, someone shared this with you or tagged you in this little video or, or sent you this podcast and you're listening to this for the first time. You're like, what does that mean that we are spirit or that we are spiritual? What does that mean? Well, we all have spirits. When God says, let us make man in our image, it's not because it was a physical being that he was that he wanted to show us. It was that he's a spiritual being and he wanted us to know that we have a spirit inside of us. This means that when our physical bodies die, our spirits live on. I love it. It was said before that everybody spends forever somewhere. And like we need to always have that in our mind. I did a funeral just, just recently, and, and I had to remind folks, like, everybody spends forever somewhere. And like, James, isn't that the worst place to share that? No, that's the best place to share it. Also at weddings. I haven't done a wedding since November, so maybe it's not the best place to do it. But, but to share that, like, that everybody spends forever somewhere, it's always got to be on our minds. That we've got an eternal destination. Because our bodies are physical, but inside of us is the spirit. It helps us to remember that we were designed this way. Because we are made in God's image, we have a purpose on earth and a destination to consider. So what does it mean to be in God's image? Number one, that we're spiritual beings. Number two, that we rank above animals and plants. Praise the Lord. For some of you ladies that are out there watching, I used to live in a town where like all the men hunted. All the men hunted. And, and I, I sometimes wondered if like the, the women there were like, does my husband love me more, like love animals more than he loves me because he's always gone? And like it hurt my heart. We rank above animals. We rank above plants. So, but we have a duty to take care of them. It's like, it's, it's like God gave us a duty, and he, he says it in, in the Word, but he gives us a duty to steward these resources in a good, moral, ethical way. Which also, if, if we rank above animals and plants, it also negates or gives us, like throws away the excuse. Like if you ever do something, you're like, well, I'm just an animal. Or that person's just an animal. They're not just an animal. Number three, we are designed to show the world what God is like. We're spiritual beings. We rank above animals and plants, so we have to care for and steward it. And number three, we are designed to show the world what God is like. I'm going to go back to verse 14. And I mentioned it earlier. This word was used, salem, image, is used 14 times in the Old Testament. Five of those times, it's used specifically of the phrase image of God. Like we would translate it, image of God. Five different times out of 14. So the rest, most of the rest of the times, it's all talking about idols or likenesses or representations of other things. Like it's a very precise word when we look at that word salem or image. It's a very precise word. And so when God says that you are made in the image of God, we are made to show the world what God is like. Like when God created you, He created you with the purpose or the design to show the world what God is like. Because cats can't do it, they're great. Unless, unless, unless my cat, and he's kind of, kind of, kind of not great. They call him Lucifer. I don't. 
but he will scratch you. Like, I got fresh scratches. You can't look at a dog and be like, oh, that shows me what God is like. I mean, yeah, maybe the loyalty part, but like you can't see a dog and you can't look at a plant like, mm, that hibiscus, that really shows me God's grandeur. Like, we were designed to show the world what God is like. We're, we're des- we only are designed to show the world what God's holiness looks like, that God is set apart. We only are designed to show that God is weighty or that God is glorious, that God is he's not just like a football team, like, oh, football team, or he's not just like some, some soccer team, or like, oh, go soccer, go, football's life. It's not that we look at God and, and, and we say, oh, you know, God is, is super cool, and then we move on to whatever else. Like it's which to show the world that God weighs a lot in your life. That God weighs a lot in your emotions and in your thoughts and in your timings and your, in your pocketbooks and your mental uh, aspirations. Like wh- wherever you are, that God weighs a lot in that. And then he's not peripheral. And then he's not just another little box. A lot of men, we like to compartmentalize and we like to say that, hey, God's in a box. And this is my God box here. And this is my wife box here. And this is my, oh, this is a big hunting box right here. And then this is, it's not to say that, God's, that God weighs a lot in your life. We are to show the world what God's love looks like because we love extravagantly. Mary and I, we watched a, a uh, we listened to a podcast and watched a show about it, uh, one of those true crime kind of things, which those are kind of gritty. But it's so neat that this, there was a murder and this, this woman forgave this man based on God's love for people. And, and I'm like, that, that's really, I love seeing those stories of redemption. I remember those kids in the Amish schoolhouse that were killed a long time ago by a gunman and yet the Amish people forgave him immediately like immediately and the world was like what in the world could you do? but it's because they were looking at Jesus we're to show we were designed to show the world what God's love is like we're designed to show the world what God's faithfulness looks like so Jesus says make disciples right we said that earlier towards the beginning of our, of our message today Jesus says to make Disciples. I looked it up. I'm a nerd. I do those kind of things. I looked at frequency. I always keep track of frequency type things. 29 times that word disciple is used in the book of Acts. You're like, oh, that doesn't, what, what does that mean? Of all those times in the book of Acts, it's never, and that's what was strange, right? So in the book of Acts chapter 1, it says that you would go into all the world, uh, that you'd go to Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? That all power has been given to me and you can go. But wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait, you know, sending the helper to you. Like those, those kind of words. And so I'm like, oh, well then clearly the word disciple is going to be used a lot in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is how the early church started. Like what happens when Jesus died and rose again? What do we do now? And now it's we make disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do, make disciples. So I looked at the word disciple and it was strange that every one of those instances, it wasn't Paul saying, which he's in, you know, from Acts chapter 8. And beyond, where Paul would say, and Jesus told me to come and make disciples. And it wasn't in Acts chapters 1 through 7 or 1 through 6 where Peter would say, hey, and the Lord Jesus told me to make disciples. And it was strange. And even Stephen, who had a really long chapter in Acts chapter 7 where he's given a speech before they stone him to death and throw rocks, that even Stephen, that he wouldn't go through and at the very end of his spiel say, and Jesus told me to make disciples. I found that strange that Jesus tells us to make disciples, and yet in the book of Acts, the word disciples always used about a group of people, the group of believers that would follow after Jesus. They're the, the learners, the ones that are learning, the making me, making more of you, right? Instead, you want to know the, 
the primary word or the most frequent word that they used, that the apostles would use, Peter and John and, and Paul, Philip. You want to know like the, the words that they, they the, the, word, the word that they used most? 13 times they used the word Messiah. But they would say that we want you to know what the Messiah is like. We want you to know that the Messiah saves. We want you to, to believe or trust in the Messiah. Like they would use that kind of phrasing and terminology. The disciples made disciples by sharing about Messiah. The disciples made disciples by sharing about Jesus. They didn't say, hey, I'm going to make more of me or make more disciples by making you a disciple. Come be a disciple with me. Like they didn't do that. They were like, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about his love for you. I want to tell you about how he redeemed you, how he saved you, how he, how he provided a way for you. Like They would talk about the things of Jesus. They would show others what God was like through the rescue and redemption from Jesus alone. The thing is, and we're, we're, we're about to close, is we need more of you. We need more of you. The world needs more of you. Your family needs more of you. Your friends, your coworkers, like they need more of you as you look to have more of Jesus. They need that. You need that. And it's, it's no longer that we can say, well, making disciples, that's for the preacher. Or making disciples, that's for the strong Christian. Or that's for the person that's been a part of churches for 15, 20 years. Like, we can't say that because the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, Jesus says, to go and make disciples. And then so the apostles went and they said, okay, what does that mean? Well, we will tell people what Jesus is like. That's it. And so they need more of you as we get more of Jesus. problem is you can't make more of you without Jesus at the center. So if you've made it this far listening or watching, you can't make more of you without Jesus at the center of your life. I mean, it's why God emphatically would say that you can have no other gods before me. It's why God like, had it in writing twice, in stone tablets, like it's a big deal. God's like, oh, the first one broke, oh, we'll just scratch that. No, 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 God's like, this is important, you need to know, no other gods before me. In fact, don't even make idols don't make images. Don't make likenesses. Don't make drawings. Don't make, don't make anything else that you could create of your own and say, oh, this is something I'm going to worship. Don't show the world what other gods are like. Don't show the world what, what the God of money is like or what the God of love. What do you mean? Well, some people worship love. Not like in the past, we would... We would Call it like the Venus worshippers or the worshippers of Aphrodite. Uh, there was a whole group of people that would worship in that way. But nowadays, the people who, man, we just, we're just going to watch rom-coms and we're just going to get on dating sites, which those aren't bad things. Those aren't bad things. Except for Vince Vaughn. My friend and I talked about Vince Vaughn rom-coms last night and they're just terrible. But besides that, like these aren't bad things. But when you make your pursuit of loving someone else or being loved like your, your big deal, like that's your God. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's eating. For some of us, it's our emotions or it's our self-centeredness. It's power. It's fame. Some of us are like, oh, I just want to be a social media influencer. I want that box from YouTube. And God's like, I don't want you to make gods besides me. I don't want you to put some sort of other God in a box and show the world like this is what matters, this is what's important. God said, no other idols, no other images. Jesus was asked, 
They asked Jesus one time, they said, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? Like, boil them all down. Boil all 600 plus commandments, rules, down to like just one. And Jesus boiled it down to two, and we'll talk about the second one next week. But Jesus said the first thing was to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God. Of all the things, it's like, he could have said, hey, you know what? Just make sure and pay your taxes, because that's a big deal. The IRS is going to come after you. Your student loans, they will always call you, always call you. It's an 800 number every time. And they try to trick you with an 866 number, and you're like, I'm not going to answer. He could have said, he could have said, don't eat shrimp. And everyone in the South said, uh, I'm going to tune off right now. Jesus could have said any rule that he wanted to. And he said, love God. Why? Because that is what matters most. That's the way it was designed. That is your why. That is your why. We need to be more like Jesus. For some of you today, it means that you need to trust Jesus because you've never trusted Jesus. You've never, you never put your faith in him. You've never said, I want to trust you with my hopes, my dreams, and my desires, and my wants, and my wills, and my kids, and my, my money, and my, my everything. I, I want to, I, some of you have never said yes to Jesus, and that's what you need to do right now. You need to trust Jesus because that is your why. That's why you were designed. For some of you, it means that you need to be more like Jesus. How do you be more like Jesus? You spend time with him. Like, I find that I'm, I'm more like people when I spend more time with them. You know, we want to grow the kingdom of God. We want to we we grow the church of God. We want to grow the church of God. We, we want, not C-112, but we want God's church, the bride of Christ, to grow. Like when Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, like we want it to grow across the world. But you do that by making disciples. And you do that by making more of you as you have more of Jesus. So for some of you, it means like you need to trust Jesus that you have Jesus for like period. And for some of you, it means that you just need more of Jesus. Let's work towards that as we make more of us. Jesus, thank you for today and these moments together. It's my prayer, God, that we know that we are created in your image. And Jesus, that you died on the cross for us to trust you with everything. That we would have more of you, Jesus, and as we have more of you, that we would share that with other people. And Jesus, that's how the kingdom's going to grow. Jesus, that's how we can help make more disciples. By getting closer to you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.